Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today we have a uh, a very special day because we have a very special guest, uh, my friend, uh, Ryan Gilbert is going to come and share a message with us. If you've never met uh, Ryan, you're in for a treat today. Ryan is, a, uh, is the young life leader here in Los Alamos. So mo- a lot of the teenagers have known him. Some of the uh, adults in the room have known Ryan because there's three things that I want to share about Ryan that, that I love. And one of them is longevity. Um, like Ryan has been doing youth ministry for, uh, or in Los Alamos doing Young Life for 22 years. Like Ryan is old. Like, um, like uh, pa- youth pastor of Moses old. <laughs> um, no, he has been doing this for a long time. 22 years in youth ministry is like in like dog years. That's like 97 years of doing youth ministry. Like there's, you get triggered by some things that happen. But no, that it is. Un, I, I joke. It's unheard of what he what he has done in this town. Um, and and to have that longevity to stay in the game with a passion and do it well um, is amazing. It's 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 some greatness, Ryan, to serve and serve well. And so um, that's one thing. Longevity. Um, second thing, hugs. Everywhere I go with Ryan, the dude knows somebody. Uh, usually it's a teenager and I'm a little bit, I'm like, how does he know all these people? And he's giving them fist bumps or hugs. Like whenever I go in, I go to give him a, a handshake and Ryan's like, no, we ain't doing no handshake. Like he comes in and he gives you a hug. He's very relational and connects very well. Almost anywhere you go, um, or anywhere I'm with Ryan, he knows people, which is so cool. And then the last thing is, and we're in this series called After God's Own Heart. Ryan's heart is after Jesus. God, God wants to reach this town. He wants to reach people for Jesus. And this is what he does. And he does it in, in a group that often gets overlooked in, in the teenagers. And he does it well. He does it really well. And he reaches families and he's been doing it for a long time. And so we have a great opportunity to learn from one of the best in this town on how to be after God's own heart, how to reach not only teenagers, but how to reach their families. So I'm excited to have my friend come and share, and I can learn from him, but I want us freedom to give my friend Ryan uh, Gilbert a very warm and loud round of applause. Come on. Dang. Dang. Thank you. Uh, uh, that is humbling, tremendously humbling, um, more than what I deserve. So, uh, I want to uh, share with you guys a couple of things today. My hope, my hope is that uh, that I would be able to share with you the passion of Young Life. Um, I would be able to share with you guys the biblical foundation of what it is that we do. And then I would also love to share with you guys kind of uh, how to take that and apply it to our lives as believers. So that's my hope today, is that I can be of some encouragement to you guys as you pursue Christ, as you help each other take the next step, which I love that vision of this church, the next step 
with Jesus. Uh, so that's my hope. I want to introduce myself. Mike uh, shared a little bit about me, but I want to introduce you to my family. Part of what makes me me is my family. This is my wife in the middle. She's actually not that short. She's 5'7". It just is, I have freakishly tall kids. So I've been married to my wife for 22 years. We got married in 19, almost 22 years. In 98, we got married and then we moved here. And I have two incredible boys who are becoming young men. Uh, Justin is on the left, John is on the right. Justin's at Texas Tech and John's sitting here. He's a sophomore in high school. And that's, um, if you know me, then that's a huge part of my life is my family. Um, but I also want to go back to uh, when I was in high school, um, there was uh, an event that happened partway through my senior year, most of the way through. And it told me that my life is a mess and my life was a wreck. So on top of a mountain, when I was 18 years old, uh, I thought briefly about, man, if this is all there is to life, if this is it, then is life worth living? You see, I'd done everything that I think culture up to that point as an 18-year-old had told me to do. I was an A student. I was an athlete, varsity athlete, a couple of times over. Uh, parents liked me. Teachers liked me. I was popular. Um, I worked. I, I made money. I had a solid home. Uh, we, we partied. I mean, I did all the things. I had girlfriends. I did all the things that culture said, what I thought culture said, what music told me would make you popular, make you successful. And I, was still, I still felt empty. I still felt lost. And I was sitting there going, man, if this is all there is, is it worth it? Is life worth it? Fast forward a couple of months, and I was running a gym program for the town in which I was in. I was opening the gym for volleyball and baseball, a couple of, or baseball, volleyball and basketball. Uh, a couple of times a week, and in walked this guy named Matt Marino. And Matt, uh, the first time I saw him, I'm like, wait, I've seen him before someplace because he looks a little bit like Waldo. <laughs> and this very awkward guy walked in and challenged me to basketball, which was a mistake. I just beat him up physically. But he kept showing up into my world, and he kept showing up, and he invited me into stuff. See, he was hired as a youth pastor of a local church to be their youth pastor, but also to start Young Life in the small town in which I was at. And I, so he started meeting people. He started coming into my world and uh, building a relationship with me. He invited me to youth group stuff. I wouldn't go in. I'd hang out in my car, wait for them to get done and hit on the girls. He invited me into places. He invited me to his house where he and his wife, Carrie, lived. And I ate their chips ahoy and drank their milk. Um, but pretty soon our conversation started turning to Jesus. And I went, he's got something I don't have. And I felt I became attracted to Jesus through our conversations, and I gave my life to Jesus. And Matt had a significant impact on that journey of what it looked like to follow Jesus. Uh, Matt and Carrie were instrumental in me learning about that. And in fact, he was the epitome of 1 Thessalonians 2.8. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. Matt and Carrie lived that in front of me. They lived this verse. They loved me and invited me into their life and therefore I gave my life to Jesus. And they helped me learn what that looked like. But it wasn't something that Matt and Carrie learned on their own. Matt learned it from Marty Caldwell and Bill Hamilton who learned it from some other people who learned it from some other people who learned it from Bob Mitchell 
who learned it from Jim Rayburn. And Jim Rayburn didn't discover it on his own. He had a lead pastor in a church in the 1930s who looked at him and says, hey, I don't want you to take care of the kids in the church. We got people for that. I'm hiring you to take care of them. And he pointed across the street at the high school. He says, figure out how to reach them. As a pastor with vision. Figure out how to reach the kids outside of the church. And so Jim dove into scripture and he dove into stuff and he was like trying to figure out what does this look like? And he gra- God grabbed a hold of him in the Gospels and watching what Jesus did and Young Life was born out of that. Young Life in a nutshell is this, introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. That's, that's everything in Young Life. It's introducing teens, adolescents. Adolescents now, depending on who you talk to, is 12 to 28 or 12 to 26. I mean, it's a huge group is adolescents these days. And we want to introduce them. Introductions usually happen once, maybe twice, right? And so we're looking for kids who are outside of the church, kids who are disinterested, kids who have fallen by the wayside, ones who've been beat up, ones who've never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And we want to help them grow in their faith. And we do this through a couple of ways. One is by going to where teens are. Two is by building bridges of friendship. Three, by earning the right to be heard. And four, by sharing our lives and our faith. That's what Young Life is. Some people go, what is Young Life? And I go, it's this. It's, we go to where kids are. Matt came to where I was. He walked into the gym. He earned the right to be heard. He showed up rarely and walked beside me and taught me what it looks like to know Jesus And then our founder of Young Life said this, that's not just what Young Life's all about. That's all that Young Life's all about, Jesus Christ. That's it. You want to know what Young Life is? We're about Jesus. We we just want to fall deeply in love with who Christ is and share that with our high school or middle school friends. That's a little background on Young Life, kind of how it came to be. What I'd love to do now is jump into Mark chapter 2. So if you have a Bible... You wouldn't mind opening it digitally or paper and open to Mark chapter 2. As you guys, some of you guys are turning there, a quick background. Jesus has been hanging out in the Galilean area. And I thought about having a map and then I went, ah, it's too much like my church. I go to Crossroads and Mark always has maps. I'm like, I'm not going to put up a map. Um, But he's hanging around the Galilee. See a Galilee. Capernaum is the town that he's in right now. Nazareth is just south of that, and that's where he's from, and he kind of hangs out in that area. And he's done a lot of miracles, and he's done a lot of healings, and he's journeyed around. He also is recruiting his buds, his posse, his squad, his disciples, for those of you who grew up in the church, his disciples. And he's inviting people to follow him. And it's at this point that we enter into the story. And Jesus, chapter 2, verse 1, after a few days... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Okay, pause there. Okay. Black and white. If you were in a Young Life club, I'd go for probably about eight minutes on describing this scene a little bit more. Because we read it and you go, okay, some guys brought a guy to Jesus that was paralyzed and on a mat. And you go, okay, neat story. Well, I got more questions. How did he get there? Like, what made him paralyzed? Who wanted to take him? 
Was it like the four guys were standing around going, God, okay, John can't make the tournament. We need somebody. Who else do we know? Who, who, we need a fifth for our basketball team. What about Jim? Jim's paralyzed. You know, we can't. What about this Jesus guy? You know, they're thinking, they're trying to figure out how do we get him to the feet of Jesus? Because Jesus will do something. We know he does something. We've already heard the rumors going around that Jesus heals people. Like the guy with leprosy, like he touched him and he became clean. It's crazy stuff. Sick people, almost dead people he touched and they came back to life. Like maybe, maybe Jim, maybe it's because they needed a fifth. Maybe it's because they grew up with him. And somewhere along the way, he got run over by a camel and got paralyzed. And they're like, ah, dang, okay, we got to get you back to life. I don't know why. Maybe it was Jim's idea. I just call him Jim. There's no reason. Um, but the paralyzed guy, maybe it was his idea to go, hey, guys, would you get me in front of Jesus? That's my only hope, right? I've been paralyzed. I, I want to live life. Get me in front of Jesus. I don't know why. Maybe it was, it was says a group of men carried by four, so there might have been more than four. There was at least four. Maybe they went to the door and knocked on the door and like, Hi, Mrs. Jim's mom? Yeah, is Jim here? She's probably like, he can't go anyplace. Where else would he be? You know, yeah, he's in there. You know, maybe they walked in and like, Jim, hey, we're going to go for a trip. Like, Jim's like, no, I don't really want to go. And they're like, too bad, you, you don't have a choice. And they grab his mat and they go. And they get to where Jesus is. I don't know what the conversation, dude, this is going to be awesome, man. Jesus is going to touch you. It's going to be cool. You know, I don't know what it was on the way there. But they carried him on his mat to the house, right? And so if you were to picture it today, it would be cars among cars among cars on the block. And as you started to drive up, you would be like, eh, there's a party going on, right? Back then, it was probably camel after donkey after camel after donkey that was parked outside. And they come up to the house, and it is packed, right? And like, Jim, we are getting you to Jesus. And Jim's... If Jim didn't want to go, he's probably like, sweet, too busy, let's go. You can take me back home now. And they're like, okay, no, 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 we're going to make this happen. Right? I was just at the airport um, yesterday, and this gal was on crutches and sitting in a wheelchair, and everybody, this guy was yelling like, hey, wheelchair, move to your left, move to your left, wheelchair, right? And everybody parted and went right down. I wonder if they tried that. I wonder if like, hey, paralytic, got to get him to Jesus. And people were like, shut up, where Jesus is talking. Whatever it was, they couldn't get him there. And I wonder, whose idea was it to go on the roof? And it's not like our roofs, right? That was a second living room. In that day and age, that culture, they had stairs that actually went up onto the roof, and it was a second living room for the house. It was a living area, okay? So they were like, well, let's try the roof. Why? It's a roof. They don't have skylights and stuff like that. But somebody decided, let's go up on the roof, and let's try to get them in there. Creative person. They went up there. Maybe somebody in that group was a builder. I don't know. Went, dude, I built this roof. I know exactly where the studs are and the trusses are. We, can, we dig right here. We can get. Uh, but I love to picture it as Jesus is teaching in there. Right? I wonder, was he aware of what was going on? I wonder if you could hear through the roof people up there going, conk, 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 conk. And then I wonder if Jesus was talking. And all of a sudden, a little bit of dirt started falling down on the ceiling. You know, people were like, what the heck, man? What's going on? Right? A little bit more dirt fell down. I wonder, did they hit the right spot the first time around? Or did they dig a hole, stick a head through, and be like, oh, five feet that way? I don't know. I love to add color to it. 
I love to smell what's going on in here. Sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, okay, they, they made a hole in the roof by digging through it and then lowered a guy on the mat. It took more than that. I love talking about Jesus. It's what I do. It's where I live. I live in the Gospels. I love these stories. And I encourage you guys, dive in. So they dug a hole and then they lowered him down. And you know there were some engineers. Any engineers? You know there's an engineer in the crowd because they lowered him on a mat. It wasn't a stiff mat, right? Because he was able to roll it up and walk it out in front of everybody. So it was a rolled soft mat. So somebody brought rope. Somebody is a provider, right? There had to be a construction guy who goes, I know exactly how to rip apart a roof. Right? It had to be an engineer that figured out how do you lower the corner specifically in the right way so as we lower him, we don't dump him off the mat, right? Uh, you know, and they lowered him in front of Jesus. And they got him there. Here's an aside. This is not necessarily part of the talk. It's different. But what are the tools that you use to get people in front of Jesus? We use, in Young Life, we use all kinds of different tools. Okay? What does it take to get somebody in front of Jesus? And we use different things, and some of them are called skits. And I want to show you one, and I'm rolling the dice here on this one to see if, we, if I can draw you guys back in. But I want to show you this video, and then I'll explain it here in a minute. We did a great job. If you've never seen Robin Hood Men in Tights, now you've seen the best part of it. Um, this is high school guys. You would see it and go, okay, this is get guys making fun of themselves. But what you don't see is the gospel. What you see is humor and laughter. And a lot of people from the outside, when they look at Young Life, they go, oh, you guys just have fun and games. Can I pull back the curtain and show you the gospel in that? See, Mason... One of the guys who gathered guys to do this skit for Topper Review. I found out about it and I go, hey, Mason, tell me the guys that are doing this with you. And he told me some of them. And I said, I'm pretty sure a chunk of those don't know Jesus. What do you think? He goes, yeah, I don't think so. What, if, what do you think the possibility of getting them to do that at club is? He goes, oh, that would be awesome. I'll totally ask him. And Mason and I talked about it and I go, because... We know that if they come to Young Life Club, they're going to at least hear about Jesus. So what if we used this? And Mason bought into the idea. And he went and talked to the guys. And I went and I know a couple of them. And I went and talked to them. I said, dude, I hear you guys might be coming to Young Life. They're like, oh, that would be so cool. We'll totally do it. Right? They come and they do the skit. What you don't see is one of those guys has come to everything Young Life prior to that and now after that them doing that skit. It's not about coming to Young Life, by the way, but he's hearing about Jesus. 
He's being cared for by believers and by leaders who are coming alongside of him and interacting with him, that are sharing life. Not just the gospel, but our lives as well. Other ones that I don't know where they're at with Jesus. A couple of them, I'm pretty sure, do not know. And yet, they came and they had a chance on that Monday to hear about Jesus. What are your tools that you have to get people to the feet of Jesus? What is it? Maybe, maybe it's worship team. Maybe there's somebody that you know who's a phenomenal guitar player. You go, man, would you be willing to play guitar at our church? Maybe once a month. And all of a sudden, they, they come. They don't know Jesus, but that doesn't prohibit them from playing a guitar. Maybe it's the, the baseball team that your kids are on. And you go, I'm going to host a picnic in my backyard just so I can invite people over to my house. And I can begin to build a relationship. What are the tools that you guys have? These are just the ones that we use in Young Life to get kids to the feet of Jesus. That's just one of them. Ryan and Dimitri and Liz have done this over the last semester really well of using the tools of Young Life to get their friends to the feet of Jesus. That's on this side. Come back. I joked about the color, adding color to this passage. And it's not that. It's not how, what did it look like when they opened the roof and tore a hole in it and dirt falling down. It's not about the reaction of what people were thinking when they lowered in front of Jesus and Jim coming down, looking at the crowd going, sup, and then looking at Jesus like, not my idea, right? It's none of that. It's what happens next. The reason the scripture doesn't put that in there is we might get caught up in those. And I don't want you to get caught up in those. I just do that because I like to do that. It's what happens next. They lowered the man and the mat was lying on. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Your son, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, when he saw their faith. Their faith. It wasn't about the paralytic. It wasn't just about the guys in the roof. It was their faith. Do you realize that we somehow mysteriously have a role to play in people coming to faith in Christ. He lets us and he uses the tools that we have. He uses stupid things like those skits to bring people to know him. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to come back to that word son. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, right, the fuddy-duddies, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking to the, in their hearts. And he asked them, why are you thinking these things? That would be challenging, by the way. Jesus were here, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, Mike, why are you thinking these things? Uh, how did he know that? Like, word bubble above my head? I don't know. But he knew what they were thinking. He calls them out. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, a title that is referred to Jesus, is reserved for Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. A couple of things about the son comment. Prior to this, if you know biblical history, 
you know that if somebody was stricken, if they were sick, if they were ill in any way, if they had a disease, uh, if they were paralyzed, if they were broken in any way, people assumed that they were um, smitten of God. God was judging them. That, oh, you're sick because you're sinning against God. You're apart from him. You, you, you did something wrong. So what was his title then? Sinner. Despised by God. Hey, you're paralyzed. You are not a righteous man. It's Jesus in typical Jesus fashion, reinstates the paralyzed man in a relationship. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I love that he starts there. Much is made of that um, in theology and in books and stuff like that. But he knows our deeper need. He knows that we have an issue going on inside of us. He knows that we're apart from him spiritually. He knows that there's a gap that needs to be bridged first before anything else happens. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiving. I don't know if the guys on the roof were going, uh, Jesus, he can't do anything wrong because they associate sin with activity, right, back then. And we do today still, right? It's not a heart condition. It's the stuff we do. So I don't know if the guys on the roof were like, hey, Jesus, it's, it's uh, his legs, you know, like trying to help a brother out. And Jesus goes, no, I know the deeper issue. I know there's a separation. And he said, um, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, sometimes we think about those who have been, um, who are sick. And if we're thinking about them in this way, we're going, God, maybe it's because you're doing something wrong. Maybe it's that. Jesus totally corrects us in John 9. Man born blind. Right? People are walking, or um, he's walking with his disciples and they look and they go, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents? Like maybe his parents screwed up when, before he was born and like God said, okay, that's it. I'm handing it down to your kids, right? And Jesus goes, uh-uh-uh, neither. And so that the works of God might be glorified, might be fulfilled, that God might be honored. So the reason sometimes we have the things going on in our lives is so that God can bring glory to himself exactly what he's doing here. So sometimes when we get into our funk and we get focus inward, remember that. Remember that God takes anything and everything in our life and he can use it to glorify himself and he does here. And Jesus says this, which is easier. It's obviously easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's obviously easier to say that because there's no proof. You don't have to back it up. Versus the saying of, hey, get, to get up and walk, right? Person doesn't do it. And you go, oh, okay. You don't, you're not really authoritative. You're not really powerful. But Jesus wants him to know two things. One, that he does forgive sins. And he demonstrated that by telling the guy to get up, pick up his mat, and walked. Uh, I love at the end of this that it says in verse 12, this amazed everyone. Even the skeptics were amazed at this. You might be going, why, okay, why this story this morning? Maybe you're tracking with me. You kind of are putting some of the pieces together. Why this story? Part of it is because that was me. I was a paralyzed guy. Not physically, but with all the things that were going on, that proverbial hole in my life, that treadmill that I was on, that I wasn't going in any place. Matt was like the four guys. He came and got me. He sought me out. And he brought me to the feet of Jesus. He knew I needed Jesus. 
he knew I needed help. And just like um, these guys, there was a cost to me coming to Jesus. There was a cost for the paralytic to get there. Somebody had to repair the roof or pay to repair the roof, right? They had to endure some ridicule, especially from the Pharisees who were like, what the heck did you guys do? You can't tear a hole in somebody else's roof. That's just wrong, right? And maybe along the way, they got discouraged. Maybe they yelled at each other like, Harry, you're in better. Maybe some of that. I don't know what happened there, but I know there was a cost to those guys carrying it. And I know there was a cost for Matt. I put a hole in one of his car's oil pans. I wrecked another one in a car accident. He asked me to chaperone a trip. And let's just say I wasn't a very good chaperone. I did some unchaperone things on that trip as an 18-year-old who didn't know Jesus. And nearly got him fired. He endured ridicule and scorn by, uh, to some degree, his wife, his young life boss, and his pastor because of me. Yet he endured. He said, Ryan needs Jesus. They said, it's it's not going to turn out like you think it is. He isn't going to make it there. Invest your time in something that's worthwhile. Yet he hung in there and he endured the cost to get me to the feet of Jesus. And I am so grateful to that. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've met Jesus and you, you have heard him say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Here's completely aside. This is not in my notes. Take an opportunity to write a quick note to the person that got you to the feet of Jesus and just tell them thank you. Okay. I think it's really cool. These guys absorbed the cost. Matt absorbed the cost because... They knew that Jesus was the answer, the answer, not a answer, not something that we think we can add to our life to fix parts of our life, the answer. Matt was convinced that Jesus is the answer, and you get that by looking at this. Are you convinced in your life that Jesus is the answer? Are you convinced of it? Matt was, and that's why he could absorb the cost. These guys were. If they weren't, they would have turned back and gone home after they got to the house and it was packed and nobody would let them in. I think part of understanding that Jesus is the answer is because of what we know to be true of Jesus. That Jesus rescues us, he restores us, and he redeems us. He rescues us first from our sin. He totally paid the price on the cross for our sin. He he knew that we were apart from him and he came and rescued us. And Jesus says, um, so you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus knew what was coming on the cross. He knew his death and resurrection were in the future. And so he could come to people and go, I can say to you, I forgive you. He restores us. He restores us to a right relationship with God. Just like he did with the paralytic when he said, son. Right? He restored him. We're apart from God. He knows there's a gap. He knows that in order for us to be restored to son and daughter status, that that separation has to be taken care of. And he does that on the cross. We're once again able to enter his presence with thanksgiving and gladness and joy. And I love this truth. He redeems us. He redeems those parts of our lives that we think are too gross, too broken, too far out. And he grabs a hold of those and he does something with them. 
right? Can you imagine the story a few years down the road of those guys hanging out and talking out by a campfire going, dude, you remember Jim that day we took you in front of Jesus? And they get to retell the story and relive it with great joy and going, the reason we can celebrate it is because Jesus redeemed your brokenness. And because of it, what happened next? See, the application for today is this. Now, the question I ask, too, is are you convinced that Jesus is the answer for all of life? Are you convinced of that? Had you had an encounter? Amen. I heard a yes. Are you convinced that he's the answer? And if you're not, then these next two things won't make total sense. That's the first place to start. But here's the next two things. Who's carrying you? See, there's time still in my life, right, that I need to be carried to the feet of Jesus. My wife, my kids, and some of my best friends are the guys that I call, the people that I call when I go, I am broken. I can't make it. I need prayer. I need help. I need somebody to get me to church. I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to come over and be with me to carry me to the feet of Jesus. Do you have those people? Who's carrying you? How are you getting there when you are empty, when you're lonely, when you're broken? I had the absolute pleasure and privilege of um, going to a friend's wedding this week. And I've been able to be that guy for him throughout the course of his life. And then yesterday, I got to have dinner with somebody and be that person for him to carry him back to the feet of Jesus in some small, what I would say insignificant, but hopefully glorifying way. Who's carrying you to the feet of Jesus? Because sometimes we need people to get us there when we can't get on our own. Second question of application. Who are you carrying to the feet of Jesus? Who are you surrounding and come alongside of? Who are you partnering with in here or some other place and going, man, I know they need Jesus. I know they need to get there. Who are you carrying? When I said that, each one of you most likely had a name pop into your head. If you don't have a prayer list, create a prayer list of some of those people and, and figure out, okay, have a conversation with Jesus. Jesus, how do I get them to your feet? What tools are in my life? What things are around me that I can help use to pull them to the feet of Jesus? Can I invite them to my house for dinner? Is it a Sunday morning um, coming to freedom? Is it having Mike and Rita coming over for dinner? And we just get to hang out and talk and laugh. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's an event. Maybe it's something like that that you just go, I need to, how do I enter into their world? in order to bring them to the feet of Jesus. And what resources do you need to do that? And I love this, the end of this passage. And here's why. Here's why to do that. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You want to see God work? Jump in on what he's doing. You want to be amazed? Help get somebody to the feet of Jesus. And then you will walk away praising God saying, I have never seen anything like this. Oh, there will be cost. There will be cost. But the joy on the backside of it is well worth it. Thank you guys so much. I want to bring back up Mike. Awesome. Can we give him a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.